Uh, this is the fourth week in our series, A Window into the Church. And today we'll discover the leadership which God established for his church so that it functions effect effectively for his glory. Um, we learn a lot about the structure of God's plan for the church with Paul's opening comments in Philippians. Uh, I'm just going to read one verse. If you'd like to turn there, you can or scroll there in your device. But uh, Paul opens up his letter to the, the Philippians by saying this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. And in that short verse, uh, Paul really lays out what the leadership of God's church looks like. First thing he says, as he just lets us know that, that he's writing this along with his young apprentice, Timothy. Timothy was a young man that joined in with Paul early on in his ministry and followed Paul everywhere. He was mentored by Paul, learned from Paul, grew as a man, grew as a disciple of, of Christ, um, grew as a disciple of Paul, uh, became committed to the church, and really became Paul's right-hand man. So he, uh, he and Paul are writing to the Philippians. The, the second thing we see here is that Paul identifies three groups of people as the recipients of the letter. And this is very, uh, very good for us to be able to look back and see this, this uh, structure that he identifies just in not, not purposely identifying a structure, but by identifying the people, Paul tells us that um, there's saints, uh, there's overseers, and there's deacons in the Philippian church. Early on here in the first century. Now, quick definitions are in order. Saints, that's, that's you and me. That, that's all the believers of a church. Paul refers to them as saints. They're they're followers of Jesus Christ. They're people that have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who've trusted them, trusted in him as their savior. So it's to the saints. It's also to the overseers. The term uh, that Paul uses here identifies and sets apart men as, as elders. Um, and then uh, the deacons are those identified who are set apart as servants, servants in the church. Now, this week we're going to focus our attention upon this this class of people this, uh, that Paul identifies as elders or overseers. Next week, we're going to turn our attention on deacons, uh, people that he identifies. Um, so we, we all come from different backgrounds here at Grace Church, right? I didn't grow up in church, so that's, that's my background, right? Debbie comes from a Lutheran background. Many of you maybe come from a Lutheran background. Some of you from Methodist or Presbyterian, Anglican, Episcopalian. We, Many of us come from just mainline church backgrounds, right? Some of us here come from a Catholic background. All these different groups have, have different leadership definitions and different leadership organizations within the church. This morning what I want us to do is, is look at what the Bible actually says about leadership. Some of us have had really bad experiences with leadership, and and if I were to ask you, you'd say, you know, you're lucky I'm sitting here this morning because church is not really my thing. I, I, I had a bad experience, and I just I don't want to talk about it. So that might be your background. Uh, but this morning, what we want to do is try and understand what God says about leadership in our church by looking at how Paul instructs Timothy, his disciple, his mentor. He calls him his, 
his spiritual son. And Timothy was left in Ephesus to kind of put things in order at, at early on. And uh, so what we're going to be looking at is 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, the book of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy are, are Paul's letters to this, this not-so-young man by the time he's writing to him, but a young man. And uh, he's giving Timothy instruction on church leadership. Uh, our goal this morning is to define an elder, an overseer, and realize they are spiritual leaders and not just our representatives on some council or in some committee. The church is not necessarily a democracy. It's a monarch. Christ is the king. So, um, this morning our title is Church Leadership 1, because it's part 1. Uh, next week will be Church Leadership Part 2. Uh, we're going to talk about deacons um, in, in that one. And so we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 to 7. Our study is going to have two parts to it this morning. The saying, 1 Timothy 3, 1, and then the qualities, 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 to 7. So turn to your Bible or scroll with your device to 1 Timothy 3 verses 1 to 7, and, and just follow as I read, all right? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. Here's what Paul writes to Timothy. He says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Let's, let's pray real quick before we, we begin to unfold this, okay? Father, as we look at your word, we pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts, that your spirit would help us unfold this, that your spirit would uh, reveal it to us in a way that brings glory to you, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul does something here that he's done once before, back in chapter 1, verse 15. He says, uh, this, this saying, this saying is trustworthy. What's he mean by saying? Well, there, there was probably some kind of common understood knowledge that everybody talked about, somewhat of a proverb, somewhat of a principle. And, and he says, so this, this saying um, is, is trustworthy. And what's the saying? If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he, deserve, he desires a noble task. Now, um, Paul uses the word overseer, which is interchangeable with word elder. And we're not going to go into great detail, but an overseer means to look upon, right? It, it means to, and, and I hate it when you have to use the word in the definition, but to oversee something or to care for something. Peter states the elder's role is, is this. In 1 Peter 5, 2, Peter says, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. 
Now, what we're going to be learning this morning is that elders are godly men, not just good men. Elders are godly men, not just good men. And so as you can see from Paul's thought and Peter's thought here, where, where we're going with this. In these verses, Paul lists the, the character quality needed for an overseer slash elder. So in the next seven verses, Paul provides us with 15 qualities which a man must possess to serve as an elder. Now Paul, throughout this, uses male pronouns. He speaks of this man having to be a husband of, of one wife, and so the, the indication, the implication in this is that an elder is to be a man. Elders are men. So as Paul gives us these qualities, he explains that a man desires a noble task, a good task, a beautiful task, if he aspires to be an elder. My experience has been that God gives the desire to be an elder to men. In, in the last 30 plus years that I've been in ministry, uh, I've gone to men before and said, you know, your names come up to be an elder, and they look at me and their eyes get really big and they're like, not me, nope, nope. I, I've even had one guy... Um, who became a really good friend, um, look at me and he goes, yeah, if he asked my wife, she'd say no without a, a hesitation. Um, I'm like, okay. His name came up the next year and he looked at me and he goes, no, Dana still says no. I'm like, okay. I went to him the, the third year and he looked at me and he goes, he said, yeah. I said, well, are you up for it? He goes, uh, yeah. So I think God has a way of working in guys' hearts, right? They know if they can do this or not. He gives them that desire. This means that not every man desires or is qualified to be an elder. And that's okay. That's okay. Not everyone desires to be an elder, and not everyone's qualified. That's okay. The way Paul lays this out, it's a good thing if you desire that, but he doesn't say it's a bad thing if you don't. And he doesn't say you're a horrible person if you don't qualify. It's just, it's okay. The role of elder is a heavy burden. It's a heavy burden to carry spiritually and emotionally. To hear about what's going on in the congregation. To, to hear about what's going on in people's lives. It's a burden. And not everyone's built to carry. It's a role that just not anyone is able to fill. The same. Chapter 3, verse 1. Well, chapter 3, verse, verses 2 to 7, the qualities. Now, as we look at these qualities, I want you to examine your own life as if you're looking in a mirror. And you're like, well, Pastor, obviously I'm a woman. I can't. This isn't any good. Some of you guys are going, I'm young. I don't aspire to this. But here's the thing. The things that Paul lays out for an elder, you could find that character quality somewhere else in Scripture that refers to a follower of Christ. So take this as a mirror and just kind of hold it up to yourself and say, okay, I don't aspire to be an elder. I can't be an elder. But here's some character qualities that maybe I need to work on. And look at the mirror and say, do I need to work on this one? Or is this one, like, how are we doing on this? 
right? So as we go through this, just don't be thinking, well, I hope them four elders are thinking about this. No. Or, or wives, I don't want you poking your husband in the ribs either, all right? See? You, this is what you should be like this. No, it says if a man desires to be an elder, not if his wife desires him to be an elder. And I know, women, you are, we would be nothing without you. Let me just put it that way. You are our own personal paraclete, the one that comes alongside, the Holy Spirit. You often speak into our lives. Right, men? Nod your head yes. Right now, are you going to get a, an elbow in the rib? Okay? God has given us our wives because we need them. But as we think about this now, as, we, as we've set all silliness aside, I, I want you seriously, as we go through this, to be thinking about this in, in relation to your own life. And Paul begins with a list of qualities, and he begins with above reproach. The above reproach means not to be laid hold of. It's literally what that word means. This has also been explained like this. It is impossible to bring any charge of wrongdoing such as could stand impartial explanation or examination. I'm sorry. So to be above reproach is to have the, the quality of somebody looks at your life and they're like, I got nothing to say. Think about the, the prophet Daniel. They were trying to frame him in, the, in, uh, in Babylon. They were trying to find all kinds of dirt on him. They couldn't. They had to make stuff up. Right? He wasn't perfect, but in the matter of just being above reproach, they, they had nothing on him. Above reproach. This, this is not a call to be perfect. It, it describes a person of good reputation. Making this into a quality of perfection is just a legalistic interpretation. Nobody would measure up. It needs to be one of grace. This quality is also thought to be a summary so that's, one, that's if you take above reproach just that way. It's also thought to be a summary of what follows. It's a summary of the next 14. In other words, an elder is a man who's above reproach in the following 14 qualities. So as we go through these, pray for our elders. You just saw who they were, minus Ben Smith. Ben often doesn't know. Um, pray for these guys, right? For Dominic, for Gary, for John, for Ben. They need your prayer. Elders are godly men, not just good men. So the next quality of an elder is to be the husband of one wife. Now, the, the, the phrase can have three related meanings. right? Put yourself in the first century and, and think about just kind of the, the lifestyle. It was not uncommon in Roman culture to have a mistress on the side or maybe two or three. It, it was not uncommon even to be married to, to more than one woman. Um, so this, this has uh, strong implications not only for them, but for today as well. Not a polygamist, that goes without saying. Don't have a mistress, that goes without saying. Has not committed a wrongful divorce. Now, this is where it needs to be unfolded a little bit. An elder is basically a one-woman man, according to this phrase. This third understanding, well, we need to unfold this a little bit. I know the topic of divorce is an emotional topic. 
divorce has been debated long and hard by churches and denominations. It's, it's been at the denominational level, and there's been councils study it, and it's been on the local level, and churches have, have split over it. It's a tough, it's a tough one. Grace Church believes Jesus allowed for divorce and remarriage only when the marriage covenant is broken in a way, in, in one way or another. We, we take that from Matthew 19.9. Matthew 19.9. A man who is divorced or is married to a divorced woman is not automatically rejected as an elder. The history of the divorce must be explored. There needs to be some, some long, hard conversations about that. It must be determined if the man is currently living in a loving, faithful way with his, his current wife. If the divorce took place prior to coming to faith or after coming to faith, what were the, what were the circumstances? It just needs to be evaluated. It's just not easy. Hard questions and hard answers need to be given. There's one last offshoot of this phrase, being the, the idea of being a one-woman man, which begs to be addressed. And can a single man be an elder? Since he's not a one-woman man, right? He's not married. He's not in a relationship. Given the facts that Jesus, Paul, and possibly Timothy were single, it would seem single men are not disqualified from ministry. If you do a close study of 1 Corinthians 7, which we don't have time for this morning because that would be quite lengthy, but 1 Corinthians 7, I, I refer that to you to look at later, reveals Paul taught that a single person can be highly effective in ministry, which would indicate a single man could also be highly effective as an elder. Again, it would be something that, that the current leadership would have to think through. Paul doesn't address it, but he does in other places. The next quality listed by Paul is sober-minded. Now, sober-minded literally means to be very moderate in the consumption of alcohol. In other words, you're, you're not a drunkard. The, the, the broader meaning covers the idea of showing moderation and self-control in all aspects of one's life. So it's not just alcohol. It's, it's moderation and control in all aspects of one's life. In other words, the sober-minded man does not lose his physical, emotional, and spiritual weight in life. I like how Dominic prayed for Jeff, just for his private life. Jeff and I have talked. He's, he now has a target on his back since he steps into church leadership. Not at the level of an elder, but he comes before you every Sunday morning, and he's going to be leading you in worship. Pray for him. Right? Pray that he could always be able to walk with Christ and, and would hear Christ's voice. Right? So, sober-minded means to, to curb one's desires. Some men are driven and, and, and make decisions based totally on their desires and appetites. And though they may be good men, they're not disciplined enough to be elders. Fourth quality, self-controlled or prudent. The qualities described by Paul in Romans 12.3. He says this in Romans 12.3. And he's speaking to everyone, right? He says, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment. Self-controlled. A man who's self-controlled is humble, understands how to extend grace. He's not overbearing and does not need to be the center of attention. You see, this must be a man who walks with God. An elder has to be a man who walks with God. 
Not just any man will do. Paul continues by stating an elder must be respectable. The word Paul uses here means of good behavior, modesty, orderly, or respectable. Jesus uses this word to describe a well-trimmed lamb. You see the picture there? A well-trimmed lamb. The, the flame is just that nice cone-shaped flame. It's not fluttering up here way out of control, and it's not barely keeping itself going. It's, it's, it's well-trimmed. This kind of, of uh, individual is, uh, they're not sloppy. They're orderly in the way they go about their life. Their lifestyle is, is orderly. Not only an elder's behavior, but your behavior can be prejudiced, can, can prejudice someone against the church if it's not orderly. They can look at you and go, <coughs> really? If that's the way leadership looks in the church, then maybe I, I don't want to check that church out. Or maybe I don't want to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's speaking of a lifestyle, Paul is, which is orderly, not sloppy. One that uh, isn't going to prejudice somebody against the church. Hospitable is the next term that Paul uses and literally means a love of strangers. A love of strangers. Not surprising Paul includes that. In the first century, there were uh, traveling teachers and prophets that, that moved through the communities and they would look to the church to find lodging and to find care while they were in town. And so uh, a, a, an elder needs to have a love for strangers and, and have hospitality for the follower of Jesus in any area. Now, not just a man, not just an elder, but the follower of Jesus in any area. Hospitality is an expression of Christian love. It could even be said hospitality is measured by how you use your faith. Paul's telling us that hospitality is a mark of spiritual maturity and an elder should exhibit. Looking next on Paul's list, we see able to teach. And, and I, this has been one that's been tossed around a lot. But this doesn't necessarily mean somebody can stand up front and do what I do. Actually, if you'd ask me if this is what I would be doing when I first became a Christian, I'd laugh at you and go, you are crazy. And God has a sense of humor. But not everybody can stand up front. Our good friend Fonz, right, um, on ESPN, or was on ESPN. He's in front of TVs. He does sports broadcasting, right? I asked him once if he'd do announcements. He got done. He goes, don't ever ask me to do it again. That was terrifying. I'm like, are you kidding? It's just our people. He goes, do you like being in front of a camera? Good point. No. We're all cut for different things. He could he can talk to a million people over the airwaves because he's looking at one camera. Not everybody can get in front of a group of people and teach or talk. So what does that able to teach mean? It means can you sit down one-on-one -on -one across a coffee table with somebody and explain the gospel? Can you sit down one-on-one -on -one and explain to somebody how to walk with Christ? Can, can you sit down one-on-one -on -one with somebody and work your way through the Scripture? That's what able to teach you. Can you feed yourself spiritually? That's what able to teach you. Able to teach. Elders are godly men, not just good men. Now, now stay with me, all right? Debbie and I were talking about this sermon. There's a lot of, like I'm just lit, a lot of stuff I'm putting down. Right, but 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 stay with me. How are you measuring up? How's it look as you look in the mirror? Have you, have you seen some some chinks in your armor? 
have you seen something that, that maybe you need to work on? Stay with me. See, we need to strive for these qualities in our lives, whether we want to be an elder or not. These are good qualities to have. These are qualities that, that make you a fragrant aroma to the world around you. We have eight more qualities to investigate. The next four go really quickly. So they're listed in one lump sum. Not a drunkard, not violent, gentle, not quarrelsome. So quickly, not a drunkard, self-explanatory. Not violent, the word actually means not a striker. And it paints a picture of a man who's not a bully, not given to fights. Interestingly enough, striking out doesn't have to be a physical thing. Think about our world today. It could be words on social media posts. Not violent. Paul quickly follows his quality up with the quality of gentle. Not violent, but gentle. Gentle literally means yielding or kind. One who does not demand the letter of the law or custom. The 11th one, not quarrelsome. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Let me just say, some men are outwardly contentious. Others are quietly passive-aggressive. Those men are quarrelsome. Not qualified to be elders. You're, you're supposed to be not quarrelsome. An elder is not a fighter and is not contentious. Twelfth quality Paul lists is not a lover of money. Now that, that becomes a pretty obvious thing. The danger for a person in church leadership is to help themselves to the till. Right to help themselves to the offering. That's why we have two people count. That's why we have checks and balances with our bookkeeper and, and deposits and all that kind of stuff. That becomes pretty obvious. It maybe wasn't so carefully controlled in the first century. Or maybe 50 years ago. Helping yourself to the offering is an obvious temptation. A not-so-obvious temptation is thinking the church's money is your own money. I've worked with two different treasurers through the years who sat on the church's checkbook like it was the dragon's hoard, like they were a dragon sitting on their hoard of gold, and you were not allowed to spend money, no matter what. didn't matter if something needed to be purchased or if something needed to be fixed. Nope, nope, this is our money. We're sitting on this. See, that, that's, that's also a love of money. Then there's the, the personal danger, love of money and things. We're told the root of all evil is the love of money. See, God must take first place in a man's heart. Must take first place in a man's heart to be loved. But shouldn't God take first place in all our hearts? In all our hearts. The love of money is something that can derail anybody. As we move to, to verses 4 and 5, Paul reveals that an elder must manage his household well. To manage well is Paul's thesis here. And he... he he modifies it in two ways. He says, he follows up his thoughts in this way. First, he has to manage with, with all dignity, which means seriousness, to be, to be above the ordinary. Second, his children are to be submissive, which means obedient and respectful. Paul, Paul has the same list of elder qualities in Titus when he's writing to, to another protege, another uh, person he's been mentoring, Titus, who he's left as well, only on the island of Crete to set the church in order. In Titus 1, 5 to 9, 
uh, Paul says, he adds here that an elder's children must be believers and not open to charges of debauchery or insubordination. This doesn't mean that, that an elder has to have a perfect family. How would you define a perfect family? We'd have a, a, several different definitions of a perfect family. But is the house, is the family, is it managed well? Are the children basically, are, are they good kids? This doesn't mean an elder has to have a perfect family, but it does mean an elder has to lead his family in holiness. And the reason given for this quality, if an elder can't lead a family, how can he going to lead a church? The last two qualities are found in verses 6 and 7. An elder must not be a recent convert. And that kind of goes without saying, but Paul says a new convert may fall into temptation and think more highly of himself than he ought. The result of such conceit is judgment from God. Same judgment that the devil gets. The last quality, an elder must have a good reputation with the community. A recent uh, convert may not have a good reputation in the community. Uh, a seasoned believer may not have a good reputation in the community. People watch you when they know you're a follower of Christ. They examine your life. Even if you're not examining your life, they're examining your life. One man's poor testimony can drag Jesus' name and the whole church through the mud. One man's testimony can keep people from listening to the gospel. Your bad testimony can do the same thing. Paul says, such a man's trapped by the devil in disgrace and shame. See, I, I hope it's become obvious the elder selection is not a popularity contest. Elders put God first, not their own popularity. I remember being in a church and, and hearing somebody say, well, we better get, uh, we, we better get uh, Schwartz on the, the elder board because uh, that's the only way we're going to get our voice heard. It's not a representative government. The, those, those people that were saying that missed the point that they could have gone to any one of the elders and expressed their concern. An, elders, an elder puts God first, not, not their own popularity. A congregation does not select a representative so their voice is heard at meetings. Because the elders are listening for one voice, and it's God's voice. And what's best for the church. An elder's job is to keep the flock of God spiritually healthy and not necessarily happy. Just like a shepherd's job. A sheep may not be happy with him when he pens them up. They'd rather be running around in the pasture. And he may not want them running around in that pasture, so he has a dog or two, and he leads them to a better pasture. That's the role of an elder is to care for and feed, in the best possible way, a congregation of people. Not to provide what's popular. Not to provide what's trendy. Not all men aspire to be an elder, nor do all men exhibit the qualities of an elder. The elders who serve God and you currently, in this place, are not perfect men. And I'm not a perfect. 
we have. But we strive to be godly. We strive to walk with God. And really, that's what those 15 qualities are all about. Elders are, are godly men, not just good men. So the first takeaway is strive for these qualities in your own life. Like I said at the beginning, they're not unique just to elders. You can find all these qualities commanded of the body of Christ somewhere in the scriptures. Let me, let me just ask you a question. Imagine how God could use us if we all had these qualities popping out of our lives. Imagine what he'd do with the church. And then the second takeaway would be this. Pray regularly for the elders. For your elders. For these men. The burden they carry is large. They're on the front lines of spiritual attack. I mentioned that, that Jeff was having a target on his back. Your elders have a target on their back. John as our pastor has a target on his back. Rachel as our worship as our uh, children's director, she has a target on her back as well. So pray for our elders. I want these men uh, to be on your mind. I want you to pray for them. I want you to write their names down in case you haven't already. And maybe you know their names already, but I, I want you to write down Dominic Austin's name. And I want you to write down Gary Harris's name. Write down John Hosley's name. Write down Ben Smith's name. And pray for him. Finally, we can rejoice. This morning we can rejoice because God cares for his church. And he provides the right people at the right time to serve you, the church, and to serve him, your God. I'm going to take some time to pray now. Um, and I'd, I'd like to ask you just to pray as well. So I'm going to give you a few moments. Uh, pray for the elders. Pray for their spiritual lives. Pray for their marriages. All right? Um, and then uh, why don't you pray for Jeff, our new worship director. So take a few moments to do that. Pray with the person next to you or pray silently by yourself, and then I'll close with some prayer. But let's, let's bow in prayer. Father, as we pray uh, this morning for our elders, we pray that you give them wisdom in serving and providing oversight in making sure that we're fed properly as a congregation. Father, I want to thank you for their oversight of, of John and I as the pastoral staff and their oversight of the, the, the other staff of the church. Lord, I thank you for their oversight of the school. Lord, bless them. Let them not become weary in well-doing. Father, we pray, too, for Jeff as he goes forward. We've already prayed for him a bunch this morning. Lord, may we not forget to pray for him as weeks go by, uh, that he could be used of you to encourage us, to challenge us with music. And, Lord, we'll thank you for all the things you, you've done, the things you're currently doing, and all that you're going to do. We pray in Jesus' name.
Let's stand and pray.